You know when someone says something to you in a friendly way and you aren't quite sure how to take it? You wonder, was that an insult? Did she really mean to say that? Is he stupid? That's the reaction you get to a microaggression. It's an insult or a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation or even just a careless way of saying things that is often hurtful. The problem comes when the person saying it doesn't acknowledge that anything is wrong. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is WCSU 411, the podcast that gives you the tea on everything about Western Connecticut State University. Our guest today is Natasha Persad, an expert on microaggressions. She's someone who is a recipient of these careless comments, and she admits someone who's made them herself. Well, uh, Natasha, thanks for being with us today on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. And you're here on campus today as a, an expert in your field, or various fields, but uh, you're concentrating in this um, two-day session on microaggressions and how people interact with each other, right, in school and in business situations. And in life in general. Hmm. I think uh, microaggressions is one of those things that when it's said, it could be said in any environment because of what the connotation uh, may or may not be interpreted as. Mm-hmm. It's true. This Our student co-host, Barbara, said she was talking to her boyfriend a couple of weeks ago, and it was late. They hadn't had dinner yet. And the boyfriend said, oh, you're just being lazy. Why didn't you cook something? And she said, uh, what was that? And he caught himself and apologized. And uh, but it was, uh, he said, "I don't believe that. I don't. I, you know, I'm a feminist. I don't believe that women should do all the cooking." So he surprised himself too. But that was definitely a microaggression. Definitely was a microaggression. But I think this is what we were just talking about. Um, and some of it does trickle into the whole unconscious bias feel as well too. But a lot of it is innate in in conversation. Mm-hmm. Like you grow up saying things like that without any type of meaning or um, feel like maybe he was just trying to be sarcastic with her and so forth and just make a joke. But the person who's receiving it may not receive it in the same context. And that's the the great thing about microaggression. It's not meant to be you're wrong, you shouldn't be saying that. It's to facilitate a conversation to understand that things that you say has impact. Mm -hmm. And at times, the impact can be very devastating depending on the individual. And it can cause them to go in so many different directions. So the goal is is with microaggression, this is what I believe, um, and this is the reason why I'm very passionate about any type of you know, programs within diversity and inclusion, it's about educating. Because a lot of it is is that unless you're educated, you form opinions you f- and stereotypes come about and you perpetuate the stereotypes continuously. And because you're constantly exposed to it, you don't know any differently until somebody comes along who can educate you. Mm-hmm. And... That's where we'll get more into microaggressions, but that's where some people have a problem with them, right? They say, oh, I have free speech or, oh, you're being politically correct instead of – and I think they're not thinking about the effect their words have on other people as humans Mm -hmm. and viewing them as regular people, right? The funny thing about the people who quote free speech – in general, or free speech to me when any type of dialogue is going on, is because they believe they have the right to say what they say. I think what they don't look at is the bigger picture. So let's step back for a second. And everybody said what was exactly on their minds and didn't mind their P's and Q's like you were taught as a kid. What an awful world we would live in. Mm -hmm. Talk about ugliness. If you always said what was on your mind, if that person was like, So what if I said that person's lazy? All right, well, you're fat. Do you want me to say that to you? I mean, like, what type of society are we living in then when free speech is, the freedom of speech is the overrider for being allowed to say whatever you want versus, hey, how about you just learn to say something that doesn't hurt somebody else's feelings? Like, why is that such a a difficult concept to understand? Because I'm sure if we did that, I would be saying things that hurt that person's feelings as well. When you explain it in that way, do people understand it, people who had been hostile to it before? 
The ones who want to, yes. <laughs> and a lot of the times it's still in the back of their mind, they don't think they're wrong. Mm. So there's always going to be your know-it-alls who, a lot of times people use freedom of speech as a defense mechanism versus a right. Because people who utilize freedom of speech as a right is because the right is actually being taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Nobody's taking freedom of speech away from you. All I'm asking you is to be a courteous human being because the things that you're saying, you're saying out of context or biasness or unconscious biasness. You don't know why you're saying the things that you're saying. Because if you did, however I answered your questions should be enough. You shouldn't be going into it through it from a, a different route that's uncomfortable for me. The, uh, I think that the perspective that uh, all this comes out of or that affects a lot of this um, is that the white male power structure doesn't want to give up its power in the U.S. And, you know, white males have had the power for the entire history of the country. And uh, it's un uncomfortable for some to uh, understand that they aren't going to have 100 percent of the power anymore, that it's going to be uh, more we're moving toward a more uh, equitable society. <clears throat> and that causes problems in some people. Is that right? Or is that uh, my uh, oh, taking too broad a view or what? Uh, no, I don't think it's a broad view. It's, a, it's definitely a, a specific view. But let's step back for a second. In terms of uh, microaggression, mm -hmm. microaggression is not just in the United States. Mm. And microaggression is not just white versus everybody else or white male versus everybody else. Even within India, they have microaggressions, you know, around light-skinned Indians and dark-skinned Indians versus Hindus versus Muslims. There's even I'm of Indian descent. My family um, migrated from Trinidad, but they came from India to Trinidad because, the, you know, during the time the British rule, imperialism moves into Trinidad. So because we were in Trinidad, when I meet other people from India, East Indians, they don't think we're real Indians. So I have to hear commentary around that, that, oh, what did I hear the other day that I thought was hysterical? I didn't even know what it was, and it was from an Indian person. They called me a coconut. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what that means? I don't know what it means, but it doesn't oh, you, sound good. You're going to love this. I thought it would be delicious, but it's not. <laughs> it's because I'm brown on the outside and white on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I was like, because we grew up with British rule, we speak English only. We don't speak Hindi or any other languages. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the circumstances of the world my family grew up in. So the microaggression, uh, is, as I was saying, is throughout the world. It's not just solely in the United States. Recently, there's been a focus on microaggression on the fact that the dominant uh, person within government, business, corporations in power has been a white male. Um, and it's lending itself to foster conversations that their world is changing. Mm -hmm. They have to understand what is the impact of their world is changing. So one of the things, I'm part of the senior leadership of an organization called Gender Fair, and what we do is certify companies around their, their gender fairness, quote unquote, or their gender parity, around the 13 rules from the UN Women's Movement. Um, and we focus on leadership, employment, advertising, and philanthropy. And what we try to educate them on is the fact that consumer spend is not solely a white person's consumer spend. There's many people who have a consumer spend. So a lot of times when you speak to people, whether in power of business or government, and you talk to them about an ROI or anything that's going to make them more money, they tend to be open to the conversation. Mm. So when you show them the data, because our company is data-driven, when we show them the data and the statistics of company who put minorities into position of management and leadership, the change in the company's productivity, increase in profits, employee engagement, retention of key employees, and they see how the numbers have changed tremendously, they're willing to participate in these conversations more. But some people are not open to these ideas because they think, no, how we've always done it is the only way that works. 
And it could be, to what you were saying, one of the thinking is they're threatened and they're not ready for change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you get a little bit older, you hear some creaks in the bones and you're not ready to accept you're getting old. <laughs> the world is changing. There's a different face in terms of your consumer dollar. And maybe they're not ready to accept that they have to have other thinking influence what they were putting out in the market spend. You're very gentle in your approach. Is that uh, Does that help? turn people towards your message and help them understand your message? I think buy-in is key in anything that you do. Um, If my approach comes off gentle, thank you. I I find that as a compliment. Mm -hmm. I think if you can speak to somebody as a rational human being and keep on par with the fact that you are at the same level as them, they're going to be much more open to the conversations. One of the programs that I actually initiated that I started doing is called Reverse Mentoringship. And I find that um, when you're able to sit down with someone who's either a board member or CEO or so forth or someone of senior leadership who just doesn't understand but they're willing to understand and you kind of help them pick apart what their thinking is with them and partner with them, they're, they're able to see it through your side. And because they're able to see it to your side, then they're able to gauge what your capabilities are. I think the other thing is there's so many different stereotypes around um, women and minorities that sometimes I I don't believe I need to come in as a bull to make my point. Mm. I think if you can come in and speak directly, assertively, and clearly and concise, you're able to articulate your opinion so that somebody can see that you're able to do that without being too passive, too aggressive, and they tend to get caught up more on the emotion mm-hmm. than the message. Hmm. The um, I was in a session that you did earlier today, and you showed a video, <clears throat> and I felt very emotional about it when uh, you showed the video showed some examples of microaggressions that I thought were blatant. Um, racist or uh, sexist, like one where the professor is talking to an Asian student, Asian American, and says at the end, oh, you speak English very well. And obviously this was a kid who was American, was born here and spoke English and all that. Uh, I just think that um, (laughs) some of these things that are still happening are uh, outrageous and that it's hard to understand how people don't get it already at that level. I know there are some that are uh, microaggressions that are a little more subtle, but that one isn't subtle anymore. It's definitely not subtle. Um, and think about it this way. The person probably was brought up a certain way, mm. and it, was, it became innate mm-hmm. in their thinking. It's part of their conversations. So they don't know differently. Um, I've been exposed to that, you know, myself because of how I speak. I, you know, I, I grew up in a household where my parents both spoke English. They also spoke the Queen's English, which is, oh, my God, learning to spell color without a U. That was a craziness <laughs> in kindergarten. Um, and then I went to Catholic school the majority of my life, including college. Mm. So the nuns teach you to enunciate and things like that. So I, I speak the way I speak, not because, you know, it's I chose to do that. It's That was my environment. That was my upbringing. So you're also taught and communicated certain messaging at the same time. So this particular person probably was taught a message that, you know, Asian people tend to have an accent and so forth. So when I meet people, a lot of times they expect for me to speak with an accent or they Mm. expect for me to not speak as clearly as I do, struggle with words and, you know, not have a master of it. And if I do, they said, oh, is it because you worked extra hard to understand this language? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, to not spell color with a U. But then when I go back to England and see my family, I have to say color and zebra and all that other nonsense. (laughs) So I do speak two languages, I guess, American and uh, English. Mm-hmm. But I think that that does happen, the example that you're reflecting on. And it's hopefully it's going to change in time because we're doing things like the workshop today to facilitate the conversations and show that it, you know people speak like that. Um, 
and I like to believe that there was no malintention to it, mm-hmm. and maybe he was trying to pay him a compliment, and that's where the thinking has to start reverting because it's so innate. Mm-hmm. The uh, let's talk about what some microaggressions are in case people don't um, understand it. What uh, some are uh, related to the way people look, right? If you have dark skin, brown skin, uh, they, people assume, white people here assume that the, a brown skin person is born somewhere else, not in the U.S. That's correct. So one of the questions you might get is constantly, where are you from? So I get that all the time. They say, where are you from? And I'll say, New York. And they're like, no, where are you originally from? I mean, short of saying my mother's womb and not trying to sound disrespectful or rude, I, you know, I tend to say, as I mentioned before, I'm from New York. I was born and raised in New York. Um, and they're like, oh, and they get very surprised because, you know, there's the assumption that if you're not of a certain, if you're not white or black, um, that you were not born in this country. So that's one of the, the components. Another one is um, you may say things that you've always said that you don't realize is off-putting, like you throw like a girl. Mm-hmm. And the, what you're actually equating that to is that women aren't capable of participating in physical activities. So that's actually a microaggression, even though I know a lot of times it's said as a joke, saying that, you know, the reason why you say that is, um, you know, to make fun of somebody, depending on the person, they may not receive it that way. And another microaggression is, um, you know, this is this is a bit harsher and it's like oh are are you parents citizens like what are you insinuating you know that's those are some tough ones um so microaggressions have different degrees of harmfulness where are you from is it harmful it depends on the person who receives it it just pisses me off to no degree when i get that one um do my parents have papers that's just blatantly wrong and why are you even asking that Mm -hmm. question Yep. And uh, there's gender microaggressions. There is gender. So some of the categories of microaggression is uh, besides race and religion, there's gender. There's around LGBTQ. There's around economic status, which is kind of interesting that, um, when you hear the language and so forth. People with disabilities mm. are veterans. Our veterans even suffer from microaggression. Mm. Um, and one of them would be, you know, oh, you returned from the war. Is anything wrong with you? That's a microaggression to mm-hmm. you veterans. Sure. And uh, I guess you were saying some of th- the time they're based on what uh, <clears throat> we learned growing up. People talked a certain way 25 years ago. Uh, and we didn't know any different within our family. We go out to the society and we start talking that way and don't realize we're offending people. Although if you re-engage in media or uh, are any sort of aware that you should start to learn that. Isn't that true? That's what I, my thing is. If you're paying attention, you're less likely to uh, say something offensive. You know, I would like to think that we're all perfect that way. I know I'm not. And as I mentioned earlier in the workshop uh, we just facilitated, I'm a culprit of microaggression. Um, I try to be more conscientious, especially as someone who's trying to um, bring this to the spotlight. But for the longest time, when something just annoyed me or something was you know, a little off-putting or something, I'd say, oh my gosh, that's so gay. But in hindsight, I don't say it anymore because I understand the repercussions of saying it, and I wouldn't want somebody to say something like that about, you know, who I am. So we're all culprits of uh, microaggression because, as we said earlier, it it's so innate in us. I think your your point about the media is the media tends to highlight the really harsh ones mm. and the bigger ones, mm-hmm. so that things that are part of like your daily vernacular, like that's so gay you don't think about because it's just part of your your expressions and so forth whereas the other ones are directed at the person so the you're so that's so gay is a good example because 
you don't know who's standing around you. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are not out and so forth. And they may say, okay, that's the reason why I'm not out. It's mm-hmm. because you say things like that, even though you're not directing it at someone. So to what you were saying about the media, the media tends to focus on the ones that have the fastest and the hardest and the most harmful impact at the recipient directly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that people say that is it more of a roundabout, and you don't realize that you have that impact on that person. In the session today, uh, sometimes it was discussed that sometimes it can be an action too, or um, for a black woman, if I walk up and talk about her hair or you know, even touch her hair, that's a microaggression. Oh, and the other one was if they the if an elevator door opens, hmm. there was uh, an African American gentleman in the elevator. You may get uncomfortable and not go in the elevator because you think something's going to happen, and mm-hmm. the person decides not to take the elevator. Um, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's a physical <laughs> microaggression. <laughs> that's like that's the direct impact one that I was talking about. Or if you're walking to your car and. Um, you see somebody who you feel is going to hurt you because they there's a stereotype that's perpetuated about that person, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you stop or you let the person go in front of you or you look for another person to keep you company. That you know, that's another uh, physical one. Hopefully, the person you find to help you is in like Charles Manson or something, right? Like that in the process, exactly. And that's very immediately hurtful, I think. Uh, I think a lot of people, say white people, who talk about black women's hair to the person whose hair it is, uh, think they're being complimentary or they're um, – or in that vein. But really they're uh, – it's, it's stereotypical, right? They're mm-hmm. following a stereotype and um, uh, seeing that person in, through a certain lens that – uh, is narrow and it's ignorance hmm. it's just ignorance at the end of the day because if you go with that approach versus asking the question I think there's a difference between being inquisitive mm-hmm. and curious and not knowing and so I'll give a good example so my hair texture is fine and straight and so forth. Indian people have a lot of different hair textures. That's the particular hair texture I have. And I've been told before, oh, wow, I didn't realize you have hair like mine. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, like, because your hair, you could, can you use shampoo? Can you go in the water? And I was like, yes, I can do all of that. But that's, would you like me to explain to you that in India, the type of hair we have and the distance and this, and they're like, it's at that point, if I offer to educate you, if you want to engage, that's great. If that person is just like, oh, no, it's just I didn't know, and hmm. they, they, they would rather stick to the stereotype in their mind that everybody outside of this particular uh, race hair is the same way. Mm-hmm. And what do you do then? Walk away, or do you engage or track them down? Or... I mean, I ask the person first if they'd like to be educated. Mm-hmm. That's just what I would that's what I could do. Um, if the person doesn't want to be engaged, then I realize it's of their own choice to be ignorant and perpetuate the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do want to be engaged, then I try to have an honest conversation with them and you know, listen to why they think that way first because I think that's the most important thing. So if you're open to engaging in the conversation to educate, you have to first understand why do they think that way? Like, where did you where did you learn that from? Oh, the pictures you saw? I could see that, you know, because the people, the artists who drew those pictures were, you know, white men and this, this, and this, and these are the pictures that they drew. And I could see why you would say that. And this is actually, you know, the North, you have this and the South. It's like anything else. I was like, the same thing like in the U.S., you know. Mm-hmm. You just explain it as best as you can to educate them. It's it's amazing, though, sometimes. Um, and I know this doesn't apply to you, Paul, because we've had other chats um, since we know each other. There's a lot of Americans in this country who's, who's so generational that they just identify themselves as American. And if you talk about where they come from, they don't really know the countries and the countries as well as where they come from. Like, there's something, you know, in Ireland, I understand they dubbed it Black Irish, but 
you know, that's a poor reference on their part. But in Ireland, because they had a large population from North Africa come into Ireland and so forth, and they had what was known as the Moors and so forth. Living in Ireland, you have a different mix of Irish people who have different hair textures and so forth. So even in Ireland, they have different hair textures as well, too, and it's not all the same because of the fact that they had um, these people that migrated into Ireland from North Africa. But Americans don't know that. They don't even know their, the own history of their own people. Mm -hmm which I find very fascinating. They know the history of America and everything about America, but have them dig a little bit deeper, further, um, they choose not to. Or have a passport. People get passports. <laughs> you know, that's uh, also interesting that um, people who have been here for a generation or two... White Americans who have been here for a generation or two uh, often identify themselves by where their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents came from. Uh, they're Irish-American or Italian-American and very proud of it, and we'll talk about it all the time, and um, kind of uh, one effect of that may be that they are um, separating themselves into their own tribe. What do you think about that? Is that something that uh, is uh, that we should be talking about as a society that we're uh, you know breaking down that kind of um, uh, um, tribalism, or is there value to that? At the same time, of course, if you come from um, El Salvador and come here, many people would insist that you get rid of all the El Salvadoran. Um, uh, knowledge and feeling and just be American. Doesn't it, oh, I, I think sometimes, isn't it more important of just what the person wants to be? Mm -hmm. I'm painfully proud of being an American um, and I'm painfully proud of the multiple heritages that I had to, to learn. It's a mouthful and I have to explain it and so forth, but I'm still <laughs> proud of it and and. I have no problems embracing it. But I first and foremost relate to being an American. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes Italian-Americans, Irish-Americans, and so forth are looking for something that they want to relate to besides American. Because if you notice, they still use the word American. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I, just, I don't say like Indian-American or because then that denotes too many other things with, with Native Americans mm. and stuff and, or Trinidadian American. I just say American because that's what we all are at the end of the day. However, our families or our ancestors are from these countries. I think in terms of what you were talking about with tribe, I think tribe is a misused word mm. in today's society. I think people are looking to belong to something. Um, nothing's wrong with belonging to America. America's a great country. I've worked and lived in a lot of other countries, and I can tell you America is a great, great country. That's why everybody's trying to get here. Um, with that being said, though, if you want to connect with your heritage, you should connect with your heritage. Learn your history. Learn what's going on in your country today. If I, I have a lot of relatives who live in England. I worked in England when I worked for British Airways. The number one food in, in England right now is Indian food. They re, curry is their food. Mm -hmm. When I go to Ireland, they put curry on their french fries. But because people here only know what they were told here and they perpetuate the story, they're not learning the new history. They're not learning what's going on and mm -hmm. what the people there, um, their thinking is. Did you know that in did you know that Ireland was one of the first countries that allowed the LGBT community to buy property together? Mm -mm. There you but, go. There you go. But there's also a misconception about Irish people because of Irish Americans and some of the connotations and stereotypes that come about. But if you, like for somebody in my position who had to help employees, you know, with buying homes and so forth, and I'm like, why are you guys all buying homes in Ireland? Oh, because Ireland is this. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. So that's what I'm saying. If, you, if you're if you proud of your heritage and you want to say you're Irish-American and all this other stuff, cool. 
but know your heritage. Know, so know that the things that you're saying is sometimes anti what the country's actually doing. Mm-hmm. So the idea of uh, understanding microaggressions and trying to um, not have them around anymore is to um, bring us together as a society, right? Definitely. And I, I, let's, let's look at – let's be realistic about certain things. Mm. Things aren't going to disappear tomorrow and so forth. The goal is, is like anything else, is to reduce – some of the things that was perpetuated from the past based on bad decision-making, hmm. let's say. Um, and if you're able to continually work at it, eventually these conversations will not be had down the road. It's so funny because when I when I was saying earlier, when I've been outside the U.S., so I spent quite a bit of time in Europe and in Asia and so forth. And it's amazing to me how differently they think than we do. And I'll give a good example. Like in Italy, um, there's Asian people there. There's all different nationalities there. They all speak Italian. They all relate to being Italian. They say they're Italian first. They were born and raised there. They, you know, That's their thinking. Nobody's questioning them. Other Italians don't question them. I, that stuck in my mind, hmm. you know, like, oh, how do you, how do you know that? Um, I, I worked for this, uh, actually, the, the forefathers of supply chain management, Lian Fung, and I had to spend a lot of time in Hong Kong. It was a Hong Kong-based company. I'd go to these restaurants. They would hand me a vegetarian menu because they knew Indian people eat hmm. vegetarian food mostly. I was just like in awe, like, like they would give me both menus. Like, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, here you go, and, you know, because... They're so open to learning the different cultures and what that culture is. So it's kind of twofold. And what we're talking about is microaggressions are outside of the U.S., yes, uh, but it's a different type of microaggression than what we experience as Americans. And I think because people tend to be much more open of learning other people's cultures and not questioning somebody who's there, um, if I to me, I believe we're going to get there as mm. as a country because I saw it with other countries that mm. are older than us uh, and more established than us and had migration longer than we have. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. In America, we do have a history of uh, growing and changing and um, modifying, not staying in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you mentioned at the session you gave was uh, – uh, you would be in a company, you would be, uh, many of the other, your colleagues would be white males. They'd have a staff photo for something that they'd be putting in a brochure or something. Mm-hmm. And they'd always make sure you were there to, so that they could show diversity to their customers. Investors, right. clients. And, uh, but that fellow employees also saw it, and that put you in a position of being a, um, a leader, right? A, um, a role model. Role model, right. Oh, you were going to say something? Sorry. No, I want to know more about that. You know, the funny thing is, is um, I didn't know I was a role model. I knew why I was in the pictures. It was, it's pretty blatant when you look at the picture, what's going on. You know who's getting a copy of the pictures. I can't really fight with it because it's giving me the lifestyle that I currently have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't fight with it. I'm doing the diversity and initiative programs that I need to do to help other people. How the photo impacted me, and I'm not going to say which company because it's not fair to them, Mm -hmm. was when black men, Chinese men, Spanish men, like Mexicans, any, I'm naming different nationalities for a reason, mm-hmm. and I'm saying men specifically, because it wasn't it wasn't women only. Saw me in the photo, they were proud. <laughs> they were proud because they don't understand. They they may or may not understand the purpose of the photo, but they understood. For me to be in that photo, I had to have a certain position, and maybe. There's been other photos from their time, and whoever had my role was not in, did not look like me in that photo. Mm-hmm. 
and they were so happy for me, and they were so proud for me, and they supported me, and they believed if I can do it, then their children can do it, their grandchildren can do it, they could do it, depending on their age. And I could, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm somebody's role model. I'm several people's role model. I'm not just one group's role model. I'm not just for women, or I'm not just for Indians. I'm for everybody that's not a white male. Mm -hmm. I'm their role model. And I understand some entertainers are like, ooh, I don't want to be your role model. I don't want to do this. And I, I thought about this, and I was like, you know what? You want to enjoy the lifestyle. You want to enjoy the perks. You got to enjoy what comes with the job in order for you to get as far as you did to enjoy all of that. And at the same time, I know what I had to get through in order to get there. And if I can make it easier for somebody else, then I'm going to do that. So I chose to be a role model. I chose to speak my story about how I had struggles in college being a minority and not embracing what I really wanted to do. The fact that my parents, when they immigrated to this country, they believed that you could do whatever you want in America, and nobody told them, uh-uh, there's people that came here on the Mayflower that said, this is our country first, and we get first rights. You don't. Nobody told me that when you graduate college and you go into, you know, I mean, it's not a secret. If you Google me, you'll see all the companies I worked at from Goldman Sachs and up. Mm -hmm. That when you walk into those doors, those people have a different perception of who you are and what you should be doing. Nobody prepares you for those conversations. And I said, you know what? As a role model, I need to prepare people for those conversations. I need to open the doors that, you know, were not open for me. And at the same time, I didn't, I also understand that there was two gentlemen in my life from Goldman, who saw something in me and made opening the doors for me a lot easier. And I'm very appreciative to them to this day. Um, and they, if they did that for me, the reason why I'm in that picture is to do it for other people as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes the reason why you're put in the pictures has one meaning. And then when you learn that it has a totally different meaning, you value that picture a lot more. I also think it's interesting that, you know, I can look at the photo. My dad could look at the photo and not see anything um, or see people like us in it and not have all that range of history and emotions and uh, reaction from others in it, too. If I'm in that photo, nobody talks about it mm -hmm. for all the regular normal reasons. But um and until we hear someone like you talk about it, we don't know um, that there's a different story there. There's definitely a different story. And you're carrying so many people's dreams and aspirations in that photo. It's, it's, it's wild mm. because you don't think that, you know. And it, it makes you step back and say, well, look at all the other people before you who did that to give you that opportunity to be in that photo. And then you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do with that opportunity? Um, but the photo definitely, it's a, it's a funny conversation when I have with people because I, when you tell them this is why they're doing it, and then you tell them, but this is the, the result. I mean, yes, there is a, an ROI result, of course, but when there is a result with people and Next thing you know, people are bringing their children in and asking you to speak to their children because you want their children to believe that there's a chance. You want their children to believe that they can do it. It's, it's a totally different um, way of thinking because you now are influencing so many other people's lives, and one photo does that. Um, whereas you look at the, f the photo and maybe say, oh, so-and-so's in it again, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, Natasha's in the photo this time. Okay. Some people may not see what the photo represents besides, okay, this is our senior leadership. That's about it. I think that photo also illustrates why uh, there's 
arguments about whether even that there are microaggressions too because some people are living lives where um, they don't recognize or they aren't receiving microaggressions or they don't recognize them and uh, other people are living a life where they have microaggressions every day. You, you do know the photo is a type of microaggression, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the people who are putting me in that photo, yeah. that's their form of microaggression. <laughs> mm-hmm. It happens all the time. <laughs> but I don't think they realize that there's a positive effect from mm-hmm. it. Um, <clears throat> I might be a little bit uh, cagey myself by not telling them that because I don't want them to capitalize on it. Uh, but, you know, the photo is definitely a microaggression to your point. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people who are experiencing microaggressions every day. In the seminar this morning, you could s- feel a lot of pain being expressed um, when people recounted their daily lives. You know, the at the at in the beginning of the session, I had everybody write down um, – whether they've been affected by a microaggression of some type. And at the very end, after we did all the work around what microaggression is, examples of microaggression, different things between microassault, microinsinuation, microassimilation, like the different types of microaggression. And then at the end, because um, I had everybody write it and it was anonymous, nobody signed their name to what their microaggression is, I started reading them out loud. Hmm. And the reason why we do that is because in the beginning, it's a good way to kick off, to facilitate. Instead of facilitating with uh, learning something right away, you hmm. write down to, to see, first of all, if you understand what microaggression was when you wrote it on the post-it. And at the end, by reading it out loud, it has more impact because people you know suffered from microaggression. It's somebody who has a face. It's somebody that you speak to every day and have coffee. Like, somebody said that to you, it gets more personal. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I like that, um, that exercise. Because in the beginning, you don't really know. You think you know. Mm-hmm. You have an understanding. And then when you do the work, and then when you, and you read the examples of what people, you know, experience. And there was actually one around Irish Americans, which I didn't, you know, which I was like, I'm so glad somebody wrote that down because even Irish-American people experience mm-hmm. microaggression. Um, then you don't know. And then it becomes more personal, you know, that friends of yours are impacted the same way. The reason uh, I think that it's valuable for you to come to campus and talk about this and educate us about this is that uh, a university, a college, is supposed to be a place where you can come and learn and feel safe and... Um, it's not separate from society, but it's a, a safe environment. It should be in every way. And uh, learning about how, what microaggressions are and how to deal with them, which you also talked about, is um, something that makes, can make Westcon a place where everybody can come and feel um, not just safe but good about being here. But, but isn't the the larger goal when you when you go to college? So this is this is my vision. You go to college because you're at that phase of your life. You're not really in your parents' home as much as you used to be, and you start joining the next. The, you start in you're starting in the next phase of your life. But you join. This is your first community that you join. Mm-hmm. Until you, you know, when you become older and you settle in the next community. But this is like the real next community outside of the community you grew up in, where there's a lot of other people that you're engaging with and so forth. Why would you want to be in a community that you're uncomfortable in? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole reason why you want to have conversations around this, because there's different people that are coming into your community. If your community was only going to be one way and everybody looked one way and acted one way, I got some bad news for you. You know, there's still going to be microaggressions because somebody might be heavy or somebody might be too thin. Even if everybody's the same color and the same religion, there's still going to be something that is going to be said that's still a microaggression. Mm -hmm. So if you can't have a secluded community or you choose not to go to a secluded community, and you're in a school that embraces everybody, the reason why it embraces everybody is not for you to come and 
you know, make the community uncomfortable for other people mm -hmm. or for people who are coming to the community to worry. They're coming because you're all coming for the same purpose, like you said just now, to learn, mm -hmm. to grow, to feed their minds, to get ready for the next phase of their life, um, which is way harder. <laughs> <laughs> and you want this, and you know, I'm just from conversations I have with college students and relatives who are in college, you go to college with the intention that it's safe, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. You, you go with the intention that I'm not at home anymore, which was safe. Now I'm in college, and college should be safe. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to worry about the way people speak to me. I mean, you just got out of your parents' home with a lot of rules and regulations, and now you're in college. Yeah, it should be safe that you should be who you want to be or who you're going to become, which is even harder because mm -hmm. this is a tough four years where people have to, in four years, figure out what they want to do. And usually it doesn't work out and you end up with something else. But for four years, that's a lot and you're learning a lot and you're exposed to so many things. I think something simple like, reducing microaggression, and I have to say reduce because you can't eliminate and eradicate something immediately. Reducing microaggressions is something that's so simple, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on today and talking to us about this and helping us move forward. Thanks for inviting me, Paul. Any excuse <laughs> to spend time with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We're going to break now and talk about one of the other WestCon podcasts. It's called Slash and Burn, and it's hosted by Mary Beth Griffin. She's one of the directors in Residence Life, and her guests talk about what it's like to be a first-year student here on campus. She's in the recording studio three times a week, which is annoying to Pete, but they are turning out a lot of good information. Again, it's Slash and Burn, right, Pete? Uh, no comment, Paul. Uh, giving you lots of good information about how to be a student at WestCon. Should we actually mention the, the real name of the show? Oh, maybe I should. <laughs> it's really Gab and Grow, okay, which I don't go. like. <laughs> Before Barbara Viegas joins us, I want to remind our listeners that this podcast comes to you from Western Connecticut State University, offering a high-quality, affordable education. If you have questions about enrolling at WestCon, send an email to admissions at wcsu.edu. Before we get to the events, Barbara, I want to ask you about something really important. What do you think of Ariana Grande breaking up with her fiancé? And which one is stupider? Isn't that, isn't that a lie? That they broke up? I yeah. don't think so. No? Oh, my God. I've been seeing, like, so many posts about it, but then every time I click on it, like, they're saying that it's, like, fake. I really, really? hope it's not. I guess I haven't been paying that much attention. <laughs> I hope it's fake. Like, they're really cute. Anyway. Let me look at her. This is the real tea. This is how you get it. You look at her Instagram to see if she deleted the photos with him. The real tea. <laughs> oh, my God. She deleted photos with him. No. Did she get horrible. back the $100,000 engagement ring? I'd hope so. He needs it more than she does. Yeah, no kidding. He's nothing now. <laughs> Don't say that. Poor Pete. Aw. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, let me look at his. Maybe he's not so salty. As salty as she is. Pete Davidson, where are you? He made oh, my jokes. God, he deleted his... Yeah. He made jokes on SNL about breaking up with her. He actually made a joke about um, how um, he was like, I switched a birth control pill with sugar pills or something like that because I just want to make sure she's in it, like, <laughs> for wow. the long run. Like, I mean, he's a comedian. Like, yeah. obviously the joke is like, you know. Shouldn't he say funny things then? <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's terrible. Wow, that sucks. That ruined my day. No, I'm just kidding. Really? It didn't. Um, but that really does suck. They were really cute together. They were kind of young. Yeah, I mean, definitely it was a bad decision, like, from yeah. the beginning. They, they knew each other for 10 days, right, before they got yeah, engaged. Yeah, like, very little time. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it might have something to do with the whole, like, Mac Miller situation, um, hmm. how he died. That's her ex-boyfriend. I'm sure she's not having a great time with that, hmm. um, you know, because they were together for, like, a long time. And then he, you know, died oh, yeah. from drug she overdose. She was on the rebound. Uh, she picked up a comedian. I don't know if, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's probably a tough time in her life right now. Hmm. I know that he got the tattoo, like, he had a tattoo behind his ear um, of, like, her, like, logo kind of thing, like, the bunny ears or whatever for her album, and he got that covered 
um, recently. But I thought that, like, I read somewhere that, like, like he covered it because to match another tattoo, it was like a heart, and then it said an A on the end. That was he. That's how he covered it. And I thought that maybe they said that they were, it was like matching a tattoo that she had. But I've seen like in an interview that like he said that that was his favorite tattoo. So I feel like mm. that's a little odd if he were to cover it. But um, yeah, that sucks. Mm. <laughs> um, damn, that's the real tea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we know. Now, Pete, we know. now you know how to feel about uh, Ariana. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for this month, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Oh, um, that's important. Yes. So, you know, whenever you can, wear pink, you know. Yeah. Um, Westcon cheerleaders uh, wear their pink bows. The football team wears, like, their pink socks and stuff. So it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the games coming up. I don't have a list of them, but the games in October, um, it's good. It'd be nice if you like everyone wore pink. Okay. There's only the one home game in October, which is this weekend. For homecoming. football. Yeah, for football. Sorry. Yeah. I thought we were talking about football. Um, she doesn't know the difference between the different sports. <laughs> I have to. I was a cheerleader. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so football, basketball, same. Hmm. Any, really, whatever... Um, but that's not, it's not basketball season yet. Are they only at football and basketball, the cheerleaders? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. So that's the only two sports I know. <laughs> football is undefeated, though. I just wanted to get that in before that's the end awesome. of the year. Yeah. yeah, going into homecoming, they're 6-0. Oh. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, okay, so other things that are going on. Next week, the 24th, 1230 to 2 p.m., What's Come Without Borders is doing free cookies in the student center lobby. Oh, my God. To anybody or just students? To, um, What if I walk by? I guess that's the main you're question. Privileged. Okay. Okay. You can, you're privileged. Okay. You're West Come Without Borders privileged. Yes. You get a free cookie. Thank you. Um, but students, mostly, UNP too, P2. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, mostly students because it's kind of like a recruitment thing. Hmm. Like on the little cookie it will say, like, when we meet and stuff. Um, so that's exciting. Um, we're also having other events, um, again, like, I'm still in the process of making them. This is, like, the most stressful thing ever. Um, but there's, we're gonna have a intercultural dinner, probably December 5th, up, uh, um, with the Winter Wonderland with PAC. Hopefully, we're, like, working with them. Then we're also having, um, we're co-sponsoring with the Intercultural Affairs Office for Benjamin to come, um, the speaker that we talked about last week. That's November 30th. Uh, possibly 31st. Other things that are going on are um, hockey season, right? So hockey season is up, it's coming. It's Their next game is on the 20th. Uh, their opponent is the U.S. Coast Guard. Wow. So it's They'll a, lose that one. Yeah. It's an away game at the Dayton Arena at 7 p.m. on it's a Saturday. Then after that, they're going to be playing UConn, then California, U of PA, then Sacred Heart, then Hofstra. Um, the whole event calendar for hockey season is on Westcon Rex Instagram, and you can see there the majority of them after this U.S. Coast Guard one until the November 10th are all at the Danbury Ice Arena, so that's really close to campus. You can just go there. Um, also, there's It's On Us. It's an, I don't know if they're a new club on campus, but I've recently like kind of like discovered them. Um, they're basically they're doing they're presenting a national pledge drive October twentieth twenty first to the twenty seventh. You and a team um, can sign up for it, and whoever gets the most sexual assault awareness pledges um, and win can win gift cards for everyone on their team. Um, so it's a pretty cool thing. I just actually on my way here passed a table of like they were they had like a bunch of like little heart shaped papers. And they were saying, like, oh, do you want to write a message to a sexual assault survivor? Hmm. And I thought it was really awesome. I, like, wrote a quick one before I came in, too. It's On Us is like that TV show. Mm-hmm. Right? This is us. Do you cry after every meeting? I don't I've never gone to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I've never, I've never even, I've never heard of that show. This is Us, yeah. Everybody who watches it cries by the end. This is Us? Yeah. Is it, like, on somewhere? Like, like, is it, like... I guess on a on regular TV channel. Or like I don't watch it. On but, Netflix um, or something? Yeah. No, I think it's is it NBC, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Pete's looking it up. 
I am. This is us. Uh, NBC. Okay. You can watch it the day after. Yeah. If you yeah, need to Hulu, cry. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Also, ACSA is doing the West Indian Student Organization Friday, November 2nd. Um, they're doing a fashion show, basically. A student, student union ballroom. Wait. What the heck? It's saying that it's in stores, Connecticut. Hmm. I mean, this is WCSU, ICSA. Okay, well, I go, okay. It's in Stores, Connecticut. Uh, doors open at 5.45 p.m. The show starts at 6.30. Members is 6, students is 8, general is 10, and then VIP is 15. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> I'm sure West... Oh, my God. Okay, so UConn's West Indian Student Organization will be hosting their fashion show November 2nd. Yeah, okay. But ACSA is, like, supporting them, I guess. I see. Okay, that makes a lot more a lot mm-hmm. more sense. The Student Union Ballroom. You know, you just said you this was your stressful week, but last week you said it was the most stressful week for you as you were doing that uh, yeah. Casey Jordan paper. I realized that Wednesdays are just my stressful day. Like, mm. Wednesdays are always stressful. Like, today, um, I have so many things going on. Like, if you look at, like, my calendar, like, I'll show you, like, everything has, like, a little thing. And yeah, then yeah. Wednesdays always has, like, a thousand <laughs> things. You see yeah, that? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so... I have um, to do my midterm by the end of the day. Mm. I have to, it's a communications midterm. Um, and then I have to do the podcast today then go to class. And then I have a moot court from 2.30 to 3. And then I have a dentist appointment, 3.45 to 4.45. And then I have a Alpha Phi Sigma meeting, 4.45 to 5.45. Wow. And then I have class from 5, well, 4.45 until 5.30. Then I have class from 5.30 to 8. And then I have a meeting, 8.30 to, like, 9.30 or 10. Mm. You always schedule your medical stuff on Wednesdays. Last week it was a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Um, Is that a mistake? No, because the Wednesdays are like the days that I actually have some time. Tuesdays are too, but for some reason no doctor's appointment or dentist appointment like can ever fall on a Tuesday. I always say, like, can I have a Tuesday? They're like, no, we have Wednesday. I'm like, great, thanks. <laughs> How so, did the thing with doc- in Dr. Jordan's, uh, Casey Jordan's class go? It went well. I got a 96. Oh. And how much time did you actually spend on that project uh, between um, the time we'd stop talking to? I think two to, hours. You, did, you had two hours to do it? Mm, yeah. Wait. Part of that was in the waiting room in the doctor's office, right? I actually didn't get to do that because I actually showed up and they were like, oh, you're ready. I was like, <laughs> awesome. The one time in my life that it's actually convenient. It's great. Um, so that didn't work. But I had time in between classes I actually had to cancel. So that's why uh-huh. they have Alpha Phi Sigma, Alpha Phi Sigma meeting this week because I had to cancel last week's meeting. Uh-huh. So I had like a good two hours to just sit down and like put it all in a slideshow. Thankfully, like it worked out. I got a 96. So mm-hmm. Everything's great. That is good. And she's a tough teacher too. Yeah, I was surprised. The paper I got a 95 on and then this I got a 96 and I was like stepping up. Yeah, you don't have to go to class the rest of the semester. <laughs> We have another paper coming up, too. Uh, it's like paper after paper, which is actually fine. I know that my boyfriend gets so mad when, because he's in his master's program, so he, it's like all papers, and he hates writing papers. Like, mm. he'd rather take a test, and I'm the complete opposite. Like, I hate tests. I'm, like, not a test taker at all. So, well, I am a test taker. I just hate taking tests. <laughs> um, anyway, other things. West Conrec is having their intramur- intramural Six versus six co-ed volleyball. Still, they're still doing it. Mm. Uh, they sign up. You can sign up until October 26th. The season starts October 28th, and it's Sundays from 12 p- 12.30 to one thirty, and Tuesdays 8.30 to 9.30 in the Berkshire Gym. <laughs> the Berkshire Gym? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there... Uh, that's not how you say it. How is it? Berkshire? Berkshire. Berkshire. I'm saying it wrong the whole... Three years I've been here. Yeah, and Berkshire. last year on the podcast, I com- co- uh, corrected you on the podcast yeah. last year. Say the same as uh, what is it? That place in New York, I think you said it, Westchester. Is that how you say Worcester? it? Worcester. You were. Worcester. We were talking about Worcester. Yeah. Is that how I said it wrong? That, you said Worcester or something Worcester. like that. Oh, because it's spelled funny, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And don't we have a lot of homecoming stuff coming up? Yeah, if we want to say all of that stuff again. Isn't, I, didn't you skip some last week? No, I said all of them. You did? Oh. Yeah. Just come to campus for homecoming all weekend Yeah, long, pretty right? much all weekend. Right now, um, I can say a few of them because we're towards the end. We only have two days left. Well, this is coming out tomorrow, so 
one yeah, day. But the big weekend's kind of, big. Isn't the week, isn't all happening days, sorry, on the yeah, weekend? Three days, yeah. Three days, yeah. Um, so today, yesterday, I guess, because <laughs> this comes out tomorrow, we had kettle corn, but um, there's free cotton candy on the 18th, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Student Center Lobby, sponsored by Intercultural Affairs. Mm, students only? Um, I'm not sure. I feel mm. like... I feel like Daryl will give you some. Yes, I think so. Uh, Coffee House, 8 p.m. to 9, with a featured act. Uh, it's at the Colonial Corner. It's open mic from 8 to 9, and then 9 p.m. is a featured act. Um, October 19th, there's Touch a Truck, 12 p.m. Oh, your favorite. Hives Concert Park. Yes. Apparently, Which you can't do. This time, it's the new iPhone. Ooh. But I have class. I'm, like, thinking, seriously thinking about skipping class for this. Mm-hmm. But it, apparently it takes, like, six hours. So, like, <laughs> I'd have to skip all my classes. Yeah, last year it took six hours to, for someone to finally. Yeah. It's going to rain this year, though, so maybe it'll and be less. And it's going to be freezing. I think, like, yeah. the trick is that you have to just wear a lot of clothes. And bring. And an adult diaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Then there's the Homecoming Bonfire, 730 at Concert Park. And then... Finally, on the 20th is Homecoming Day, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. in front of the Western Athletic Complex with food trucks, inflatables, chili cook-off, photo booth, and more. Yay. Oh, I have a couple of things for the week after I saw. Okay. One is safe dating presentation, Westcon students only, an entertaining program about intimacy called Can I Kiss You? at 7 p.m. in the ballroom of the Campus Center. I'm just pointing this out because it's... Um, my wife's calling me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, decline. And um, the uh, I just want to point it out because we're a safe campus where uh, we teach young men the right thing to do and not to um, get in trouble with young women unintentionally yeah. or kinda, intentionally. Kind of goes along with the it's on us thing. Exactly. So, um, and there's another one on the October 24th. It's called Cactus Pot. So I want to know about that. It's sponsored by the Program Activities Council. Cactus Pot. Yeah. To provide students the opportunity to make a cactus pot of oh. novelty. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, you decorate the pot and then you get to take home a cactus in I it? I guess so. I was thinking it was a Massachusetts or Canada kind of thing, not Connecticut, but... <laughs> Well, usually when they do, like, novelties like that, like, you'll, they have, like, little rocks or pebbles and stuff, so you'll put your cactus in it and then, like, decorate the cactus. It's about a cactus, not cactus pot. I'm not sure. (laughs) I mean, there's a pot and a cactus, Hmm. so I assume you just take home a a cactus. It's not cactus marijuana. Oh, I had no idea that was referencing. (laughs) I've never even heard of that. You've never heard of pot marijuana referred to as pot? Not, I've never heard of it as cactus. I've never heard of cactus pot. Yeah, me either. That's why I was asking you about it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that was informative. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm very innocent. I don't, I don't know any of that. I don't even know what pot is. Yep. Peachy just winked so hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did off. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you have any slang for him this week, Barbara? Oh, let me think. You came unprepared to uh, teach? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Not the only thing I came up prepared for. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's it. It's got to be natural. You can't force it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of one tonight. I mean, yeah. those are the two that I usually use is um, tea and mm-hmm. um, what was the other one Lit. that I said? Okay, yeah, I, you dropped tea like it was nothing today, and Paul picked it right up. Yeah. There you so go. Yeah, learning. now I can use it. That's yeah. right. The um, real tea. The real tea, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the other one? And it, oh, wig. I don't really use this one, but, like, people, like, say it. I don't use it. Um, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, but, like, I've, I've heard people say it. Wig, it's, like, like your wig is going to fly off because it's so awesome. So, like, if you, like, are wearing, or like, you say, like, oh, like, we're going to go to, like, a casino this weekend. And, like, I have, like, I booked a room and we have, like, free stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, a wig. Wow. I never heard that. That's great. Yeah. I can't wait Would to you, use OMG it. OMG wig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OMG WIG. You could if you if you really wanted to. You totally could. <laughs> OMG wig. Smiley face. Smiley face. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Boy, these high school students listening to this are really learning something. <laughs> oh, I bet there's so many people like just like um, 
like cringing at this, like just being like, oh God. Just my relatives. Like, I think like, the other listeners will be okay. Yeah. It's like people don't really say these things like in real life. Like I don't say lit in real life. I do like by accident and it's just so embarrassing. Oh, it's all text only? Is that the deal? It's, it's like a joke. It's like a joke. Oh, like it's, it's like okay. Yeah, it's ironic. Exactly. When you use like like sometimes I ironically like say out loud like LOL, like ironically. Got it. But never like LOL, haha, like yeah, that's so funny, wig, wow. Like, no. <laughs> but you do say tea, like, in conversation. I mean, at least me and my friends do. But I guess we're, I don't know. So a lot of educated people are probably going to be like, oh, God, this girl. <laughs> well, I went home and I, I verified the tea thing with my wife, and she said, you're absolutely right about the tea thing. Wow. So your wife knew about tea. it. Oh, yeah. Did you know about it before? No, I'd never heard of it huh? until that day. Is your wife a lot younger than you? Uh, eight years younger than me. Ooh. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. New she's, she's conversation than piece. Me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't use words like hip. That's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> or pot. Right, I guess not. <laughs> um, okay. That's like, I, I, it's really it, I think. Sounds good. Cool. All, All right. right. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Will do. Okay.